Industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. All right, what's up, what's up? Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, Gamecock Central Live. And Chris, we are officially two weeks in, two weeks away, less than two weeks away from South Carolina versus Tennessee. Dude, there were some moments, uh, let's be honest, there were some moments we didn't know if this was going to get here. We're not We're not at the finish line yet, right? But looking at um, seeing college game day on Saturday, um, seeing Lee Corso with his in-house, I don't know if you saw his in-house studio that he had made. Um, we need to get on shoe about that, man. Like we need a uh, our offices to be suited up with full college game day sets. But seeing that huge mega desk as well with everybody spread out for, for COVID was like a reminder of, okay, this is still not normal, but – We've had some college football. I know we had some the week before as well, but to actually see, you know, some power fives on the field, I'm not saying it was necessarily always good football, but there was college football. There was NFL on Monday, or excuse me, on Sunday, then a couple more today. And here we are on Monday. We are getting close. This Thursday is officially the start of, quote, game week for South Carolina. You always start that a little bit earlier when you, you know, you have a little more than a week to actually prepare. So, dude, we're here. I'm excited, and I'm hoping our Gamecock Central fans out there are excited as well because all the offseason stuff will soon stop, and we'll be talking about an actual South Carolina opponent. Yeah, I mean, the the, the race is about to uh, get underway, and, you know, the reality is we'll still have to see, make sure that everything's going to be good in terms of continuing to just get through it. But things are looking good, and, you know, South Carolina, for their part, has done a really good job, you know, just managing this difficult situation to make sure that they can still play. And Will Muschamp, in talking about it, has had, you know, continuing concerns about, hey, this is tough to deal with. It's going to be tough to deal with during the season. But he's lauded, you know, George Wynn as operations director and Clint Haggard, who's the, who's the head guy, the training and things like that with, with the team for the job that they've done and, and the numbers have stayed low for this team. And as long as that stays the course, we looks like we're going to have a full football season, but unless something goes really awry, we're having game one. It's really, really exciting. It's a big game. It's a game, Tennessee game. And we'll obviously dive more into that game week, but man, it's an exciting contest for the opener because um, even though the, the fans are very limited this year, it's a home game uh, to start things off at night going to have football and TV for some fans that get to go. You're going to be able to go there, albeit differently. And uh, it's a game that we pinpointed as being, uh, you know, maybe the most important of the season, and it's right off the bat. So really intriguing, really glad that we are having football, obviously, and, and the team seems excited about that as well from, from what we've picked up. So uh, there's no shortage of storylines, you know, heading into this one, maybe the, one of the more anticipated seasons in quite a while for a lot of reasons. Yeah, man. So I think, um, you know, 
storylines abound. Some of these storylines are more, I would say, big picture, South Carolina specific. As we roll through the next couple of weeks, we'll start to get into South Carolina versus Tennessee story, you know, storylines. But I, I think, as you said, man, if you look at <laughs> you look at the SEC East and you start talking about long term, where does South Carolina establish itself within this division? I mean, I'll go back to when Steve Spurrier first got here. Um, you know, surpassing Tennessee when South Carolina was on that run, I, I think was a big part of South Carolina being able to uh, be one of your premier teams in the East during their their really good run. And I, I think we've seen we've seen Tennessee maybe take aim at, at South Carolina a bit. They they battle each other on the recruiting trail quite a bit. So that's going to be something uh, you know to talk about. But also, uh, you know, this is something where. Muschamp had never lost to Tennessee until last year as a head coach. So there was a lot of success for Muschamp and South Carolina against Tennessee, and then Tennessee gets the better of them last year. So we'll see if South Carolina can get back on the positive side of this matchup. So scrimmage on Saturday, obviously um, the third scrimmage, a, um, a fi- I guess probably a final official scrimmage as you head into, again, game week on Thursday this week. Wednesday, the guys have off to sort of take one last chance to take a breath. Then you get going. At some point, um, we believe between now and Thursday, a starting quarterback will be named internally. Um, I would say is the most accurate way to say it. We don't yet know when there will be an announcement, how there will be an announcement, and what South Carolina will do publicly. But I, I think based on what we've heard, based on what coaches have said publicly and just adding all that together, I've got a feeling the quarterback battle comes to an end here this week, but we still just don't know what it's going to be like publicly, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, last sort of official scrimmage is typically around the time that Will Muschamp wants to be able to get closer to, you know, naming sort of that pecking order. Remember last year, came into this thing with an established starter and Jake Bentley. He was going to be the guy. There wasn't really a question at all about that. And so really it was the backup battle between Ryan Holinsky and to carry on Joyner. They were able to do that at some portion through preseason camp. Now the calendar is a little bit different this time, but basically what, what this coaching staff needed was several scrimmages and they've had three of them now to, to put them into as, as close to a live game situation as you can in the stadium um, you know, crowd noise, um, game day operation type stuff, just to try to throw every possible element that they can without being in an actual game against a different opponent to, to simulate that to see how they respond. And, you know, the one on Saturday went well offensively, at least at the beginning with five of six drives going for touchdowns for scores. And, um, you know, Will Muschamp has mentioned that both quarterbacks with Colin Hill and Ryan Helensky have both done some good things throughout preseason. He still seems hesitant to say anything publicly for sure. It seems like, you know, just from what we've heard and sort of reading some of the tea leaves that, you know, they probably have close to enough at this point or or to to know sort of what direction they're going to go, but they still have to go back and look at some things. He mentioned on the Sunday media availability that he was going to visit with Mike Bobo, the offensive coordinator, that night to go back over some things from the scrimmage, to go back over some things from camp, and just take the totality of it as they move closer. But you're exactly right. You want a game week. You know, obviously, especially with this year, you're going to need 
at least two guys to be ready because you never know. I mean, not only could you have an injury quarterback, but this year with COVID-19, contact tracing, all these different things, they're isolating quarterbacks, but you got to consider that. It's just something to consider. And so, um, you know, going into game week, you want to know, at least internally, who your guy's going to be. And so um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do that, you know, in these next few days. But it's, it's getting down to it here with the quarterback battle. Yeah, you, you got to make a decision. And um, that, that time is, is sort of upon us. Um, you know, I tend to think, again, the the battle ha- has been pretty close, it, it sounds like. And, you know, I, I you know, I'll go back to – to 2016 when, when it sort of came down to, to Perry Orth and, and Brandon McElwain. And I think that announcement came on, on game day of, of the Vanderbilt game, the first uh, day of, or the first game of the Muschamp era. And I believe there was even a draft on some website that got um, pushed too early and got published and, and said uh, Brandon McElwain was starting the game. And then I don't remember exactly when it came out that, uh, that Perry Orth was going to start. Um, I'd, it will be interesting to maybe look back and find out exactly when South Carolina found out internally that Perry Orth was going to start that game, you know, compared to, to the public um, aspect of that. But, you know, we'll see. Muschamp could announce it Thursday. Um, call-in show is that day. That's first day of camp. Um, or, you know, it could go all the way to 6 p.m. on uh, September 26th. Who knows? We'll see. But – Okay, so who's going to win the job? Obviously, they haven't decided yet. I tend to think, Chris, with it being this close, I'll say what we've said all camp, I I tend to think that the knowledge of the offense, you hear Bobo, what's the thing Bobo talks about when he talks about his offense? He always says, don't turn the football over. He was asked, what what do you want people to say about your offense? And he said, you know, for one, we want to win the game. We don't care if that means you have to score seven or, or 47. I think was the way he phrased it, but he said I also want people to uh, talk about my offense as one that does not turn the football over. So when you're talking about a scheme, Chris, that um, you, you've seen, this is something we heard early on, but you've seen the guys maybe say this a little bit more lately. Um, there is some complexity to this scheme. And when you're asking, when a strength of this scheme um, is that it's very multiple. You're going to do a lot of different things that you're going to put, try to put guys in a position to succeed, but by throwing many different looks into, uh, you know, that, that the defense has to prepare for. Well, the other side of that is that that puts a lot on your players. You know, it, it, there is some complexity here. Um, this is not an offense that is going to sort of predicate itself on just simplifying, going fast, you know, running up to the line of scrimmage and then running RPOs where sort of the defense dictates what you're doing. This offense is going to be predicated for, you know, by being more uh, conscientious about trying to make the defense react to it, about making calling plays and executing them to then complement a play down the road, you know. So I think when you think about it like that, ultimately – we haven't seen one single snap of practice because of everything, but I still haven't heard anything to make me think that it's not going to be Colin Hill. Like I, I just think all things being equal, that's probably the direction that it ends up going. But 
We don't know. So we'll see. Yeah. And I mean, Will Muschamp's even mentioned that, you know, publicly that, you know, it gives Colin a leg up with that experience. Um, you know, there are, you're exactly right. There are some complexities with the offense. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want people to hear that and say, well, another, you know, another hard offense, you know, nobody's going to be able to learn it. That's, that's not it. It's just that you're going from one system to another, first of all. Nobody except for Colin Hill and Adam Prentice has played in this offense, right? And so there's a learning curve for everybody but those two. Colin Hill's been mentioned by some, some people as basically being, you know, knowing the offense as well or even better than Bobo, which is, you know, an exaggeration. But just to say that he knows this offense like the back of his hand. He knows exactly what to do, where to go with the ball. Situationally, he knows what's going on and, and sort of how Mike Bobo thinks. You can't discount that especially because you've got a couple guys who are similar in terms of like playing style, right? They, they throw the ball a lot differently, um, but they're both pocket passers. They're both not extremely mobile uh, guys that, you know, can push the ball down the field, make some quick passes. I mean, it's a similar style of play, but you know, between those two. And so when you look at that, you just sort of figure out, you know, who can operate the offense better? Who do you trust with decision-making? Who, who's going to be the most accurate? And, you know, Colin Hill, when he's been healthy in his career, has done a nice job operating the offense, and he's made some big plays. He's a big guy who can really throw the football. And so um, he's got a lot that experience factor, especially for a team that doesn't have, you know, we're not sure about the running game, not sure about the playmakers. And so that tends to give you a lean a little bit more towards experience and someone who knows exactly what they're doing. And that's why, you know, Colin Hill, you know, once he was healthy, you sort of had to consider, hey, is this guy going to be the front runner for the job? Yeah, so here we are uh, a couple of weeks away, and we'll see, like we said, how they how they want to play it out. So I uh, want to thank everybody for joining us here again. Uh, we're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitter. We're live on Facebook. And, of course, we post these on our podcast um, stuff right after uh, we do it live as well. And I, I see some familiar faces over there, Craig, uh, Cartwright, Ronnie, um, Savannah. Let's see, Kyle, a bunch of guys on. So, again, we appreciate it. And uh, please hit the share button, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Just press all the buttons, whatever thing you're on. Just push something and help us out, help us spread the word for our shows because they are free. They're always free. So um, we appreciate the support, but help us spread the word to your friends who are Gamecocks as well. Um, let, let's keep it on quarterbacks. I see a lot of discussion about the quarterbacks in our comments. And there's a question that a few people ask there in a row. You'll see it on the screen about the idea of playing multiple quarterbacks. Um, Chris, I tend – well, if we're talking about – Colin Hill and Ryan Helensky, I tend to lean towards no. As in, I don't think you play two, two of them just to play two of them, right? I, I think because – and the reason I say that is, is what you just said. They have very similar skill sets. So could, could you get one of them in if the offense is not moving with the other one? Maybe after – a handful of, of uh, drives, yes, potentially. that That's always a possibility, right? But are you going to play them both just for the uh, just for the heck of it? I, I say no. I, I think once once you sort of pick that, that number one, that dude, 
you want to you want to instill him with confidence as much as possible. You don't want him looking over his shoulder. At the same time, you want to tell the number two, you've got to be ready at every moment, right? You're preparing like you're a number one. So you do have some aspects there. It is a more fluid depth chart than it's ever been before, just because of the COVID aspect. So uh, you know there is a lot of a lot at play here. I think the the one guy though that you do circle with that question would be Luke Doty, right? I mean, when we say, do you play multiple quarterbacks? Are we talking about the two guys fighting it out? Or are we talking about the fact that Will Muschamp has said from the very beginning, Luke Doty is going to play this season, right? We don't exactly know what that's going to look like. Um, Will it be more at receiver? Will it be more at quarterback? I mean, Will Muschamp, he even sat there, he, he said, which I thought, Generally, he doesn't even give away stuff like this, Chris. He said, y'all y'all keep telling everybody that it's a, a wildcat formation if Luke Doty's in, in the game at quarterback. This guy can run the ball. Him, you know, this guy can run the ball and throw the ball. So I think if you're looking at two quarterbacks, Chris, it's more about the question of what do we see from Luke Doty? What do we see from number four in the season opener? What do we see from number four as the season progresses? Because – the lack of proven playmakers on this offense means I think you have to do everything in your power to, I would use the word manufacture. You know, it's like if a baseball team has one through nine just uh, bashers, you stand back. You're, you're not bunting. You're not giving up outs. You're not doing hit and runs. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're just letting your players go play, right? If a baseball team – lacks power and lacks guys that are proven hitters, you have to do a lot of different things to try and manufacture offense. So if you're South Carolina, you're going to have to find every way to squeeze what you have out out of this bunch. And I I think that in some ways will involve Luke Doty. It's just going to be very interesting to see exactly what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, you you do what it takes. And so um, to go back to the original point, look, and that's what we talked about. I mean, Luke Doty – is a guy that's so different in skill set. Yes, he can throw the ball, but there's no doubt he brings that extra added element of, of speed and athleticism and being able to either escape the pocket if you've got something called, you know, in terms of passing, or you can design some runs for him and, and let him go out there too. But he's, he's going to be a threat to throw the ball. He's not a guy you just put back there and say, the only thing this guy can do is run the football because he was recruited as a quarterback, his future by all indications as a quarterback as well. So, um, you know, that gives you that extra element. Whereas if you're playing the other two guys just to split it, you know, it's just because maybe maybe you don't feel like they've separated or maybe it's something like you feel like they deserve to play, but that may not make as much sense. You know, like you said, Wes, when you when you have a competition all preseason, you know, spring wasn't a competition really because Colin Hill was still out at that time, but you opened it up, you know, this preseason, had a different timeline, more time during the preseason in terms of practice and meetings and all those different things. And then you got Colin Hill's previous body of work and what Ryan Holinsky did last year, albeit in a different system. And so now you open it up. Um, obviously, anything can change. All bets are off when the games start because, you know, you could feel like you have something and maybe a guy struggles and maybe you feel like you need to make a change. But just going into this game, I tend to think they play one of those guys and – as long as it's going well or, or they don't feel like the other guys can do guy can do anything more, 
then that's probably what they roll with. I will say there was an example from Colorado State in 2018 when K.J. Carter-Samuels and Colin Hill were both on the roster, and, um, you know, Mike Bobo sort of opened up the competition. That was a year where uh, they didn't – they were struggling, scuffling a little bit more than he wanted on offense, and he opened it up a little bit. And I think early in that year – he had played both guys a little bit. Now, it's a little different because he was calling plays, but he was also the head coach. Well, Muschamp has changed guys in season. You know, you go back to that 2016 season, Wes, we saw that. Um, but during games, you know, not as much. And so there, there's some different elements, right, you know, that, that are in play there. Um, I tend to think, though, just based on what we've seen, that they probably go with one guy for this game and probably don't carry a plan to, hey, we're going to play both, you know, in game one. But again, that's not something we absolutely know for sure right now. I think that'd be fair to say. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So, yeah, I used the savings from switching to Progressive 50 years ago to finally buy my dream car. It's a self-driving flying car, but we just say self-flying now. You know, because it's the future, and cars fly in the future. So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Yeah, so let's um, let's get into some of the other spots. And, um, you know, I, I see some different opinions on there. But um, some questions about running back as well. And I, that was something I wanted to talk about, too, based on some feedback I've gotten plus the the – sort of public comments there from players and coaches. I think one of the biggest takeaways from the scrimmage, Chris, is the reemergence of Zaquandre White. And, you know, I I think running back position is one. We've talked about it. There's going to be some by committee aspects to this. That's going to continue. It's not going to change in two weeks. But I think that you look at, the buzz this guy has sort of created, you know, the way Ryan Helensky talked about the juice he has, even even Muschamp, I would say, Chris, didn't he feel like he kind of perked up a little bit when he talked about Zaquandre um, on Sunday talking about Saturday? And I think there was a sense from the fan base, you know, our, our Gamecock Central readers there who pay a little bit of attention to, to every detail, which the people we love after the first scrimmage, Muschamp rattled off the name of three running backs, and one of them was not Zaquandre White. And everybody's like, whoa, is it, has he taken a step back? And then later on, Muschamp let it be known, well, actually, he's just been hurt. So it wasn't that he was, you know, you never want a guy to be hurt. But from a big picture standpoint, that's, that's a better outcome than if, uh, you know, he just wasn't performing as far as his chances to help this team this year. So he's back. He's back healthy, it sounds like. And based on my private feedback and based on Muschamp, watching Ryan Helensky sort of light up when he talks about him, this guy has brought a lot to this team. Kevin Harris has been the most consistent. Multiple coaches have said that. So, the you know, at, at what point did, you know, does, does Kevin Harris get the first snaps? But I think that's still a very – real possibility, right? I, I don't think we know yet, but is the Quandre White going to potentially get the chance to to end up sort of being the top back 
I think as long as he is 100%, which he said today that he's good, then to me that that's a very real chance. And then those other guys sort of slide in behind him. Um, but I, I think Harris is sort of the – you don't even want to say veteran, right? But he's been there um, and seems more comfortable – they seem more comfortable where he is as far as knowledge of everything. But White just brings maybe a little bit different aspect to the table. So – does Harris or White get the first carry? Who knows? But I think we're going to see both those guys early on against Tennessee. Yeah, and, and I don't know. You know, I haven't heard for sure who the guy's going to be yet. My estimation as we sit right here on Monday the 14th is that Harris may, you know, as we sit here right now, may get first carry, may start. But White's coming on, and I think – he could have ascended more if he'd been healthy for the, you know, for the entirety of preseason. And I go back to a few things. You're exactly right. Will Muschamp, he did light up when talking about Zaquandre White. We talk a lot on, on this show about who are the first guys that are mentioned. Remember at defensive tackle, you know, a lot of people thought, well, Rick Sandage and, and Zach Pickens are going to be the first guys out of Muschamp's mouth when he's talking about D tackle. But no, it was Jabari Ellis. It was Kier Thomas, a couple of veteran guys who are now the starters and they've been talked about consistently. Well, the other night on Sunday after the Saturday scrimmage, asked about running backs, and, and White was the first guy that he started talking about. I go back to the recruiting process when they were bringing in, you know, a three-man running back class, Marshawn Lloyd and Jaquandre White, and we heard after White committed that this is a guy that's going to, you know, some folks around the program were telling us this is a guy that's going to help us, you know, this year. They felt like they could get him in and his, his athleticism was going to carry him through. I go back to when Marshawn Lloyd went down with the ACL injury. And one of the first things we heard that day, Wes, you'll remember this, is this is a huge chance for Zaquandre White to step up. Now, the other one, sure, but that was a guy that was pinpointed to us as he's really going to have an opportunity to make a move here. His biggest you know, question has been picking up the offense. And that would be the case with any new offense, right, because he – he wasn't there during spring ball, the limited spring ball they had. He was a summer enrollee, got in a little bit later. Now on top of that, he's been banged up for a few practices, so the reps have been limited. So it's just getting him up to speed. But at the bare minimum, I think this is a guy that you can go out there, have some things in mind that you feel like he's going to do well and that he can do good enough for you, get him the ball in space and let him try to go make some plays. So you know, pass protection and, and full grasp of the scheme, that's one reason why I'd maybe lean – Right now, as we sit here on the 14th, a little bit more towards starting a guy who's been around a little bit longer. But I think White's going to play, and he's going to have a chance to make a lot of plays and keep sort of moving up this season. He's the most dynamic guy they've got on the roster right now, running back, and that's what they need. And I think that's one reason why we've seen that this staff sort of wants him to continue to make that move because he's got a chance to be that dynamic option. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm I'm excited to see the guy play, and um, you know, going back to talking to him, you know, when he when he got the word that he uh, you know was going to be able to enroll at South Carolina, just hearing the excitement, um, you know, you you can you could sort of already feel that juice that they're talking about, just talking to him on the phone when I did that story with him, and now you're hearing you know Ryan Helensky talk about I'm in the huddle and I can hear you know Zaquandre yelling from the sideline like. That, hey, you got this, or, or we got this. Sort of, sort of hyping, every, you know, hyping the rest of his teammates up. So I, um, 
I think you, you know, you need this offense could use a spark, right? And all we heard early on before the Marshawn Lloyd injury would be South Carolina has a chance to have a real true one two punch with these two guys. Um, so I, I think now, you know, you, you know, Zaquandre was banged up, but now he's back. He's healthy. He's getting settled in. Um, it's almost sort of like it's always for me. It's kind of it's all it's only a matter of time, right? I, I think yeah. he can take over that that lead spot, and um, we have uh, we have a uh, excellent point from uh, someone who would know on here on YouTube who may uh, have a uh, some personal knowledge of, of Zaquandre there that uh, points out he did play in Jimbo Fisher's offense before, which we've heard. Um, you know, there are similarities between what's expected of you in this scheme, um, not just at running back, but other positions as well, you know. So you, you look at a pro-style offense and what he did under Jimbo Fisher. Now with Mike Bobo, running backs are asked to pass protect. They're asked to be involved. And, in, you know, you got to run between the tackles, run on the outside as well. We all know that, you know, the toss sweep was a big part of what Bobo did at, at Georgia. He likes to get that involved. But – um, I think especially now he's healthy with those full two weeks. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how, you know, how fast does he push for that number one spot? Because we've talked about it. If for Mike Bobo's offense to be successful, I do think you kind of need that dynamic guy who can make people miss, who can get out on the edge, who can do some different things at that position. So that if you're a Carolina fan watching, I think that gives you a little bit of hope. Um, for having an extra playmaker within this scheme. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a great point on, on sort of that pro style sort of carryover. Obviously, you know, there's going to be new things that you learn in, in any new offense and, and Harris and Fenwick and Rashad Amos, those, those guys going through the same things too. Harris and Fenwick had benefit of going through a little bit more practice, whether it's this preseason um, due, when Zaquandre was out for a, a few days and then a little bit back in the spring, along with some meetings and things like that, and then summer. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, Zaquandre can do that stuff. He's a big physical kid, um, you know, but he's also got that explosion. So he sort of brings some of the best of both worlds with that. And, again, I go back to this. He's dynamic. I mean, he's the most dynamic guy that they've got on the roster. He's probably one of the more dynamic guys on the team just in terms of when the football's in his hands. And so – you know, we knew coming into this year, no matter what that room looked like, they were going to try to get him out on the edge some. But, Wes, we talked about this. You put together a nice highlight film. It was a Quandre at junior college. Tougher between the tackles runner than I think a lot of people realized. And and he was a really physical runner in junior college. Um, got bigger, you know, even from high school. Um, and so there's, there's a lot that he's going to bring to the field there. But Mike Bobo is definitely going to look at, I think, consistency and performance. He's going to look at everything from pass protection to, you know, what what types of plays can you make? Who's the most consistent guy? But Squandre is going to have a chance to continue moving up for sure. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the other offensive guys that, um, you know, you hear Muschamp talk about. You hear some of the teammates talk about today as well. I think you have to be, if you're a Carolina fan, there should be a level of excitement, right, about some of these, these freshmen. Um, Rico Powers has sort of, you know, his, his name has been floating around out there for, for a while now as being someone that's going to help this team this year. I think he continues to come on. But, man, I, I think the progress of Jakari Caldwell, who went from 
you know, being someone that frankly, you know, I, I thought was maybe more of a get a get a year under his belt, then see what happens type guy, and just has proved to be able to steadily improve uh, day in day out. Has worked really hard, and you know, when, when his teammates say when they use the word ball hawk and they say, hey, when the ball goes up, Jakari Caldwell brings it down. That's something, you know, South Carolina has just not had a lot of that, Chris. You know, I, I think Edwards to an extent, um, you know, it, and don't get me wrong, Edwards made some highlight real plays where he is going up and getting the football. But, I mean, to me, the best we've seen, your Alshon Jeffrey, your Sidney Rice, where – your guy is is literally covered, and it's just it's a fifty fifty ball, and Alshon or Sydney are just better than the guy around him. I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Jakari is that already, but to have a true ball hawk who can go get the football as this year progresses, I'm, you know, I, I'm more and more Chris when when the guys talk, they're talking about how a bunch of different receivers are out there, a bunch of different guys are making plays. That's a position that is still, I think, a major question mark. It's still a concern. It's still one that is going to have to play out as the season progresses. But the other side of this, man, I think it's sort of going to be by committee. And then as the year goes on, we're going to see, you hope, if you're a Carolina fan, the cream sort of rise to the top, right? Like by the end, by, by week five, it could be a different conversation than we're having right now, two weeks in, until the Tennessee game. So, Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell, who who knows? They they could be on the field more and more as this year goes on based on what we're all hearing right now. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you see that. I mean, we talk a lot here about, you know, guys sometimes needing more time to develop, whether it's later in their career, but that can be the case even throughout the season. Some guys, you know, sort of find their form throughout preseason, which is what we've seen with Jakari. We've seen him get in. People say, you know, we knew South Carolina thought highly of him during the recruiting process. We did, too, you know, just in scouting him. He really made a huge leap from early in his high school to career to senior year. You know, he, he improved vastly and, and became a really hot commodity on the recruiting trail. South Carolina gets him in. And then it just took some time once he got into camp, too. Um, it's a guy that has progressed, and he started to make more and more noise. And, you know, it was a little bit of a different track than Rico Powers, who – Sort of, it was a little bit more immediate with Rico, but there's nothing wrong with either way. I mean, however you slice it, if guys are getting better and they're in a position position to help you at the beginning of the season, then that's great. Will Muschamp's raved about Rico Powers. He's talked about how he's going to help on special teams. Could Jakari get in the mix for some snaps at receiver? Potentially so. Especially, look, if you if you get an opportunity in a game and you go make a play. That's going to endear you to the coaching staff because they're going to want guys that they can count on, particularly when there's a void of that right now. You know, they're they're searching for consistency. They're searching for playmakers. And so I think you make a great point that week one could be different than week four or five, whatever it may be, because some guys may steadily come on throughout the season. We've seen Jakari Caldwell sort of steadily come on in the preseason. And so that could that could play itself out a little bit more during the year as well. Yeah, again, um, we're live here. YouTube, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. Uh, we're at uh, Gamecock Central on Facebook, on Twitter, and on our podcast. So whatever you're on, please like, review, subscribe, share, all those good things. And, 
you know, and, and also want to take a quick moment to let everybody know we do have a 60-day free trial on GamecockCentral.com as well. Use the code GC60, and um, that will get you the first um, your first 60 days for free, and then it goes into your, your normal time there, whether you sign up for annual or a monthly deal. We also have a uh, 50% off your first year. If you go on there, type in the code GameCocks, you'll get that on uh, – on GamecockCentral.com. So, all right, a couple of other positions that I think are still up in the air. Um, and I, I will say before we get off of receivers, you know, we talked about the freshman. I heard Josh Van has made some plays in the scrimmages. Luke Doty has made some plays. Um, to carry on Joyner, Muschamp said, had his best day maybe since camp began. So you are seeing progress from these guys. A couple of spots that, I would say I didn't necessarily anticipate this continuing would be offensive tackle. And you kind of have a situation here, Chris, where I would say they know Dylan Wanham is going to be one of the starters somewhere. We Now, we know they've, they've been high on Jazz Turntine. They've been high on Ja'Kai Moore. They've been high on Jalen Nichols, right? So this is not to say anything about them as players there's a lot of talent there and I think Carolina as we've reported has been very high on the future and the depth at offensive tackle but it does sound like they are looking for for a little more consistency from somebody in that bunch you know to to step up I continue to hear that Wanham has played a lot at left tackle that that's continued through the scrimmages the more I hear, the more I'm leaning. You could have Jalen Nichols as the starter week one, but then as the year, you know, it could be the Dennis Daly situation where Jazz slides in and then never, you know, never um, concedes that spot. So there's still an ongoing that, – that's one I kind of thought was going to be settled by now, but actually it, it seems at this point we'll probably roll right into game week. And you're going to have, Chris, I would say – some good competition on the offensive line week in, week out. Also with the return of Jordan Rhodes, who you hear his teammate Eric Douglas talk about, hey, this guy's a freak of nature. This guy's an incredible athlete. The thing I liked, Douglas said that Rhodes showed up looking like he had been with the team all summer from a conditioning standpoint. Not to stereotype, but you never know with these offensive linemen, right? Some Sometimes the linemen stay in great shape by themselves. Sometimes they don't. And obviously, very different being with your team versus being back home. Um, sure. Fact of life. But that there's been some really good signs there, I, I think, with Jordan Rhodes returning. We said last week he's going to make an impact at some point. It may be way sooner than we suspected because now they're getting Jordan Rhodes involved in the right tackle battle for Sean Lee. Man, the way they talk about this guy, whether it's this year or just down the road, you got to feel good about the future of Rashawn Lee and, and that O-line class. So th- this one has been a little more interesting, I would say, of a competition across the board than maybe, I, at least personally, speaking for myself, than maybe I anticipated. Yeah, it's, it has gotten more interesting, you know, and, and some different questions that maybe we anticipated have come up. I wonder, you know, a little bit of a sidebar, and I brought this up before, I wonder if we'll see 
more guys play significant snaps this year. You know what I mean? Like, will, will there be a couple guys that you feel like you want to get on the field? Not just to get a look at them, because the, the point is to win football games, right? But do, do you feel like whether it's, ah, this guy could be playing a little bit better, let's give Ja'Kai Moore a shot at a particular spot. Or let's shift this around. Or let's shift, you know, Jordan Rhodes and, and Javon Gwynn. Could that remain a battle at right guard if Rhodes isn't playing tackle like they've experimented with? Um, could could they just rotate guys a little bit more? I think it's more of a legitimate question this year. I, I think we'll have to see. But aside from that, I think it's just sort of fascinating some of the different moves that they've made with wanting to left tackle. Obviously, that's an important position at left tackle, particularly with quarterbacks that aren't as mobile when you're playing either Hill or Helensky. Um, you know, with Jazz, he did some good things. They're excited about him, but they wanted to be more consistent. What's the best way to get more consistent at left tackle? Probably take probably what's been your best offensive lineman or should be this year in Dylan Wanham, shift him over to left, get a look at one of your other guys at right tackle like Nichols, who's played there before. Um, Vershawn Lee, I don't know that he'll play a huge role this year because he is a true freshman, but we've heard good things about him from the time he got here. I mean, as soon as as soon as practice opened, um, you know, we heard good things about him and he could play a variety of roles. Jordan Rhodes that makes you feel, if you're Eric Wolford, I'm sure a lot better about your depth inside at guard because he's played there, he's been a starter there, or even getting a look at him at tackle. So they got a lot more options now, and that makes you feel a lot better about getting to that number where you feel like, hey, we got eight guys here, or maybe even more, that we feel like we could go play. Because at some point, you said this last show, Wes, probably going to have a lineman rolling ankle. You need to shift some things over. And you don't want there to be a significant drop off. And now you feel, you know, a lot better about it with some of these moves you made, some of the guys that are coming on, and then having Jordan Rhodes back. Yeah, so it should be fun to watch, should be fun to sort of see that um uh, play out. So I, I think, you know, if you sort of roll through, we've talked about pretty pretty much every other position on on offense. So real quick, tight ends. I do have to say, last week we were getting in we were doing one of these and we were reading as we went or listening right before we went live. I completely didn't give love to Keyshawn Tony. And I went back and looked or listened, watched, whatever. And Mike, one of the things that um, Bobby Bentley said that I attributed to him talking about Kevion Mullins, he was actually talking about Keyshawn Tony and his ability to know everything about, this offense and who's playing where and who's lining up where. And that's who they call the professor, which I, I thought, you know, I was like, man, that's high praise considering Mullins just moved to tight end. So um want to show some love to Keyshawn Tony. This tight end group, the depth is, is getting better now. Bobo said, hey, we're challenging these guys. We're going to need – if the offense is going to be good, the tight ends are going to have to be good. So – but I think you look, man, Nick Muse is the starter. Will Register is going to be sort of, I think, that more in-line guy who um, can block for you a little bit. Keyshawn Tony, what would you say, man, can do a little bit of both? Like, I, I think he's sort of I, – I mean, I don't know what you call that. I call it like a dual-threat tight end. They can do both things at a high level. Then you have Kevion Mullins, the mismatch in the passing game. But I'll tell you, man, as the year goes on, watch out for Eric Shaw. Um, heard really good feedback, really positive feedback. He just got in there 
last week going into the scrimmage, made some plays, but this guy has everything you're looking for at the tight end position. So I say, again, similar to those freshman receivers, as this year progresses, just remember, write it down, circle it. May not be week one, but Eric Shaw, I think, is going to be a dude probably sooner rather than later. So, I mean, as far as offense goes, Chris, I think, I mean, did we hit everything that's new from scrimmage as far as what you've heard, what I've heard, what Muschamp said, what the players said? Um, is there anything else offensively that we need to hit on? I think I think that covers it, man. Um, you know, and when I say covers it, there's still a lot of question marks there that, you know, we got to figure out. Um, and the, the team's got to figure out, and we got to figure out what's going on, you know, right before they get started on Tennessee on Thursday. And even then, there's going to be some questions that persist. A lot of these things, man, they're, some of them just simply aren't going to get answered until they're on the field live action against another team that's not the Gamecocks, right? And so mm-hmm. that's going to be the true test. Certainly, um, I, I think there, there's a lot at play. There are a lot of storylines, no shortage of them on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's position battles or backups or potential production and where it's going to come from. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I think that probably about covers it on that side of the ball. Yeah, so defensive side, we've said it's, it's much more sort of set. Um, we had a question earlier. Did Jamar Brown participate in the scrimmage? We we didn't ask that specifically, but I would say I feel pretty comfortable saying no based on where they had said he was in his recovery. Uh, I think that was last week. Um, but defensively, I think for the most part in their regular package, we, we know what it looks like, right? Um, we know how it's going to probably shape up. I will say this, Chris. I've heard a little bit more the last week or so about Zach Pickens at defensive tackle. So, you know, we've talked about Kier Thomas. We've talked about Jabari Ellis sort of being your starters. Then Zach Pickens, Rick Sandage sort of being your your number two guys. Um, similar to what we're talking about with some of those other guys where somebody's pushing, coming on. I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised if by the time game day gets here, Zach Pickens has his name either called in the starting lineup or even more subtle just plays you know, just as much as those other guys, just based on some feedback I've heard probably the last week or so. But as far as real, what would you say, competitions, the last the last sort of remaining open public competition is sort of who's this fifth DB, right? And that's something we've talked about for a while. We've talked about it all offseason. We talked about it preseason once camp started as well. Muschamp sort of said exactly what we've been saying. You know who the four guys are. You know who the first four you expect. I I think the more you hear about R.J. Roderick, man, I think he's t- taking a big jump. Um, we knew we knew what Jamie Robinson is. We know what J.C. Horn, Izzy McQuamu are. All those guys are going to be really good for South Carolina this year. I'll say this. we you know I, I like to point it out sometimes when we're right. I like to point out when we haven't talked a guy up enough. If you go back to what I'll talk for myself what we've said or what I've said about Shiloh Sanders this offseason. I don't think I've said near enough about Shiloh as far as his potential to be in this rotation this year. And now I think we're hearing, we're learning Shiloh Sanders has really started to come on, right? So I tend to think you look at that spot, Muschamp 
mainly mentioned three guys, right? I mean, Shiloh, Cam Smith. Then he sort of mentioned Johnny Dixon. Jalen Dickerson has been banged up. He's still sort of in that conversation too, it sounds like. But adding all that up, I get the impression it's Shiloh Sanders or Cam Smith maybe right now for that fifth DB spot. Yeah. And, you know, another question even built into that is configuration because we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, how they could play some things. Um, and, and Muschamp even mentioned on Sunday, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he said that is JC the nickel in certain situations, mm-hmm. you know, so even playing, and that's something maybe we don't think about a ton, but JC Horn, I mean, he played nickel early in his career. He certainly could do it. He could play anywhere. But do you put him in the nickel package, even if it's just situationally nickel? Say you got a matchup. Other teams got a great slot. That's their best guy, or they put their best guy in the slot. Do you match up JC on him? Um, if you do that, is Izzy still at corner? Or is he at safety? Do you have who do you have at corner? Is it John Dixon and Cam Smith? Is it Cam Smith and Izzy? Who's at safety? You know, so there's a lot of different configurations there. But you're right. Um, you know, Shiloh's certainly come on. With him at safety, and he's gotten time at nickel too, as you pointed out. You know, he was just a guy that was just sort of raw last year. You know, had physical ability, um, showed a lot of toughness, competitiveness, has coverage ability, but just needed to learn what to do. They put a lot on the safeties, and so he spent a lot last year learning that. Um, and now he's starting to make some noise, whether it's safety or nickel. Cam Smith's continued to come on. Johnny Dixon, as Muschamp said, has flashed. R.J. Roderick, his thing coming into this preseason, going into even his junior year, just be more consistent, you know. And so um, it sounds like, you know, he's made some strides there as well. Dickerson, key is keeping him healthy. Had a little setback with the hamstring, hopefully for him and for this team. Um, It's nothing serious. They're expecting to get him back tomorrow. And if that's the case, that's another boost. So if they can keep this group healthy, they've got more quality um, bodies, for lack of a better term back in that secondary. And so from here, it's just about continuing that competition to find the five best guys, depending on what configuration. And maybe they got more flexibility this year, Wes, to to play some different packages and and situations. Yeah, and even now, what, your best six guys, right? And I thought one takeaway, R.J. Roderick, um, if we really want to get down into the weeds with this thing, R.J. Roderick has played some dime, which um, is a spot that Jamar Brown sounds like they're really counting on him there. But Jamar has been banged up. They're trying to get him back healthy. And that that tells me they feel pretty comfortable about some of these other DBs coming along that you feel like you can make a move like that. And, you know, Nickel, I think from from sort of the early part of camp, we were told, you know, obviously Jamie uh, outstanding in that role. RJ has played it. But, yeah, JC has played, you know, I think a decent amount of Nickel. Johnny Dixon has played some Nickel. So, you have some – I think it's really just about finding who's the who's the fifth best guy because they already sort of have it built in. There's a configuration, no matter who the fifth guy is, that gets them, you know, on the field. And I think if, if it's Cam Smith, I would say you have maybe two sort of main options there. Cam has not played any nickel, but you could slide Izzy up to safety in that scenario and bring Cam in at corner. Or you slide JC over to the nickel back spot and bring Cam in at corner and leave everything else the same. Uh, so there, there are, you know, I think it would be pretty simple 
for them to make that work once they sort of identify who the best five are and then who the best six are, and then you sort of sort of go from there. So it should be fun. Um, all right, we got a bunch of people on here chatting, so we'll sort of use the last 10 minutes for a little Q&A. If you're joining us late, we did. We talked about quarterbacks at the beginning. We talked about running backs. We really went through all the major storylines from the you know from the scrimmage. But uh, so just go back. This will be archived as soon as we're off the air. But if you have any specific questions, go ahead, throw them in the chat there. If you're on Facebook, YouTube, um, what's the other one? Periscope on Twitter, whatever. If you throw it in there, we'll see them all. So we'll hit those finally. A uh, couple of other little notes: Jamie Robinson taking all the reps at punt returner. Chris, it sounded like at one point they uh, wanted J.C. Horn to take that role. They're still battling, but just the fact that Jamie took all the reps there, I think that probably tells us something, I would imagine. And, yeah. dude, I, I'll tell you a takeaway I had. Muschamp talked about watching games on Saturday and just some of the sloppiness on special teams. And South Carolina has then in turn – made a really put a big emphasis on putting in extra time at, at the you know that sort of just it's such a a repetition driven part of the game right like it's not necessarily special teams isn't really except for your returner about athleticism a lot of times it's about the repetition muscle memory correct snaps correct holds your kicker follows through like he's supposed to hits his spots puts his eyes where they're supposed to be. It's so much about repetition on special teams. So I think that that's worth mentioning and probably a very prudent move for Will Muschamp, just sort of reading the room and looking at these other teams and saying, man, there's some bad special teams play. We got to make sure our guys are ready in this aspect. Yeah, and they're going to have some questions there. I mean, Parker's been really good. They feel good about him putting him out there. He's been in some – you know, high pressure situations in the past. Um, he's made some really key kicks for them. You know, Kai Kroger as a freshman, look, you're going to have a drop off. It's just the reality. When you go from Joe Charlton, who I think his first two pro punts are about 60 yards for the Panthers the other day, um, he was one of the best in the country, maybe the best. And you go from him to a guy in Kroger who's talented, but he is a freshman. So there may be some consistency issues there, and I'm sure that's something the coaches, you know, get concerned about. But from there, it's just about knowing, you know, here are the guys that we can count on. And then Muschamp talked about this the other day. You have to be prepared to lose guys not only due to injury, but again, you've got COVID, you've got contact tracing. We've seen a lot of teams that opening weekend, and maybe this played into the special teams thing. Teams lost a lot of guys. You know, they had some significant numbers that weren't available. And so maybe that bled down to special teams in some regard. Um, we know South Carolina is not scared to play starters on special teams at key positions. I think you're going to see that, but they're also going to need to have a pecking order. And, and Muschamp talked about trying to have a three deep, you know, at every single spot, you know, Gunner and all the different spots where you're blocking on punt protection, all these different types of things. So um, it's extremely important again, for a low margin of error team like South Carolina is going to be, you got to be as good as you possibly can be on special teams. I do think that at punt returner, Jamie's going to give them some potential to make a play there. If he ends up being the guy, he's he's got some juice. He did it in high school. He's got some big playability. He'll have to secure the ball. I haven't heard of any issues there, but that's obviously number one. That's what they're looking for. But on top of that, he'll have a chance to make some plays. 
and then we'll see how kick returner turns out. They've auditioned several guys, and that's another one that's going to be important for them on top of their protection. Yeah, uh, Christopher. Yeah, okay, Christopher Yao. By the way, um, I think you commented on one of our other shows as well. Shoot me an email, um, Wes at Gamecock Central, if you're still on here. Um, I actually got something I want to ask you, um, Ben Hodge. Let's see. I'm gonna try to. We got some good questions, man. I'm gonna try to go rapid fire. If you want, you take one. I'll take one sure. um, as we go. Ben, I'll let you take this one. Chris, Ben wants to know chances Jordan Birch is your starter opening day at Buck. I'd say very low on that. Um, I don't know if I'd ever go 0% on anything in life, but, you know, J.J. and Igbari should be the starter at Buck opening day. Aaron Sterling opposite it in. And Igbari moved to Buck. You know, uh, this preseason, Birch, I think, is going to play. I think he's in line for some playing time, but uh, J.J.'s a junior. He's done real well moving over to Buck. Yeah, so that's obviously assuming J.J.'s healthy, then, you know, he, he's going to be the guy, and then – Jordan slides in there uh, quite a good bit, I think. Uh, Morgan, good question here. Uh, do you think Brooks will get approved? Let's see, I'll take the first part. You can take the, t- the second, Chris. I mean, I still think, yes, he has a good case. I think we're at the point, though, where the question now becomes, when will Jalen Brooks get approved? Will it be within the next um, – I mean, what, we're down to 12 days, right? So – is it going to be in time for him to be able to play game one? I think he will get approved, but we'll see what the NCAA does there. Uh, Chris, you see the second one there. Where would this offense be in the future with Gunnar Stockton and Lloyd potentially on the field at the same time? Well, uh, you know, unfortunately for everyone, we're not going to be able to see Marshawn Lloyd this year, but um, I, I, I wonder, you know, how much carryover will there be? Obviously, Lloyd will get a free year this year and then presumably have three from starting next year. Uh, Stockton, when he steps in, is he going to you know, be the guy as a freshman or is it going to be somebody else? I think that's the question. I mean, Luke Doty will still be on this roster. They'll still have some guys on this roster by the time he gets in, Colton Gothier, Luke Doty, et cetera. Um, so that's a question too. So, um, But, look, what I do know is those two guys are really, really good. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd was making a ton of noise, um, everything that they thought he would be and more. Gunnar Stockton's a really good prospect. So when you just look at the future of the offense, recruiting guys like that is is what you need to turn it around. They need more of those guys. And I think it gives should give Gamecock fans hope that they've got some good players, you know, on the way for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh let's see. I was trying to go back and get one more for you guys. Um who is a go to receiver besides Shy? I mean, that's the that's one of the million-dollar questions, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who will have a chance to be that. But, um, you know, we, we've talked about receivers all offseason. I, I think you're going you're gonna to see a bunch of guys play at that position. The ones that, that run routes, get open, make plays, they're gonna, those will be the ones that keep playing, right? I think that's probably the best way to say it. Hard to actually say who that's going to be, just that in-game – uh, you know, performance is going to t- determine that moving forward. Uh, let's see. Did you see any more over here, Chris, you want to hit? Um, there's a question about Tennessee. We're, we're, we're going to break down Tennessee um, oh, yeah. front, backwards, every which way you can think <laughs> of. Probably yeah. have some – I imagine we'll have a Tennessee guest on at some point. Going to have some former players on here at some point to talk about the upcoming games, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, so, all right, 
closing thoughts, Chris, or anything you want to tell everybody to be, we're closing in on our, our one hour mark here, but anything you want everybody to know as far as what we got coming up on, uh, on Gamecock central. So we got a lot of stuff. Uh, we talked about Gunnar Stockton. He and Colton Gothier both had big days on big nights to be accurate on Friday, big performances. So we've got a piece up on Gamecock central that breaks down both guys performances along with what other Gamecock commitments did. That's for subscribers. Um, also a video, new video that you and I, Wes, did, uh, this one, a premium one for our subscribers that we went, what, about 45 minutes, an hour in-depth mm-hmm. on Jordan Birch looking back at his recruitment because it was a wild ride. That's up on our front page right now. We've got some free stories, some premium stories. We would love if you guys would join us. Somebody on here earlier commented, I'm sorry, I can't find it, Morgan Brown, he asked about a Gamecock football group chat. Hopefully y'all do that, but we have group chat going on all the time on the Insiders Forum with our staff, with other Gamecock fans. So y'all join us. Wes has popped the uh, 50% off promo there. Get in before the season to get access to all our content. We'd love to have you guys. We appreciate you listening as always. And those are my long-winded closing thoughts for you, Wes. Well, dude, I will say something else that we that I meant to mention. I should start writing things down, but um, – <laughs> It's just not I, – I like – I love these lives because we can just sort of go. And sure, there's so yeah. much to talk about. And, I mean, if if you look – if y'all can see – so our chat screen right here has all the comments coming in from YouTube, Facebook, and um, and Twitter, that which is through Periscope. Well, first of all, if you're on the other platforms or you're listening on our podcast, I still believe YouTube is 100% the best way to watch and comment and all that stuff. So um, we're, we're happy wherever you're watching or listening, but come on over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the little bell so you'll be notified. I promise best viewing experience you're going to find. But um, I, so, all right, so here's what I forgot. We're within two weeks, which generally just means, yay, jump up and down, get excited. We're within two weeks, right? Well, in the year of 2020 with COVID, that, Chris, also means we're within what would you call the contract, the contact tracing window. Yes. So South Carolina, for example, they told us what? There's two guys – last week they said there's two guys positive, but 11 guys are in the contact tracing window. That, at that point, that, that didn't matter for the Tennessee game. Now, if you have a guy hit contact tracing, for example, tomorrow, you're within the two-week window. And one thing Will Muschamp has talked about is that you need for the guidelines and protocols to be standard across the entire conference. So I, I don't know. I mean, that may be something we need to dig on, Chris. It, you know, is there talk? Are there talks about? getting everyone on the same page as far as this. And one thing, you you may have more clarity than I do. I didn't quite understand what Muschamp meant. He said you can, if you can basically get two negatives in a row, you can, is that just if you were the guy who had a positive? So it was if it was a false positive, which is what, that would be the case. If you have a positive and then you have two negatives in a row, that means your positive was statistically almost, 100% uh, a false yeah. negative, 
or, or a false positive. Um, but if you're contact tracing, does two negatives get you out of the woods on that as well? Or you're 14 days regardless because there's still, I guess, I mean, I understand within that five-day window, right? The problem is from that exposure, you could still get it. You could still start showing you have it, I should say, seven, eight days down the road from that first exposure. So even if you test negative on day three, yeah. you could still be getting it. Um, and you're just not testing positive yet. So I was under the impression you can negative out basically by getting two negatives if you were the guy who tested positive. And then that in exchange would get everybody that was under your contact tracing window back in. But if there was a true positive and you got contact traced, I think right now, is is it 14 days for South Carolina? That's what it sounds like. I mean, that's what it sounds like. And, and I know the SEC's initial protocols, and this was another point that I, I'm trying to dig a little bit on because it was a little bit confusing to me just talking about the person who actually had it. You know, the SEC's sort of regulations um, or their rules was that it's a 14-day quarantine, and, and Muschamp talked about testing out of it, you know, so he must have been talking about, I guess what you're saying, Wes, he must have been talking about the person that was contact traced, like being able to test out instead of, like, I guess the SEC says if you're, if you, if you are positive, you are isolating for 14 days no matter what. See, I, th- but I, I, guess, I thought he meant the opposite of that. Yeah. See, see I don't know. Um, and that's something we got to dig on because he mentioned that other schools you can test out of quarantine, so to speak. What I've read before the season is the SEC's guideline was 14-day quarantine for positive tests. Like, I didn't see an option to test out of it. But apparently that's out there. Uh, Dan Mullen from Florida said today that they've had some issues with false positives. Um, However, they found that out. So, yeah, that's something we need to get a little bit more clarity on um, across the conference. Let's do a little bit of digging on that. See if we can Yes, we'll get back to you guys on that. But I I get – so if you – to me, it makes sense though. If you're, if you were the person who was positive and you get two back to back negatives, that that means basically you're, um, you know, you're. It was a false, you know, positive or whatever. So, but but we'll see. And yeah, I, I see your comment there, Michael. He he did say 14 days, but there's there are intricacies here about exactly how it works and the details of this, which either a right now we have to do a better job of digging on and finding out exactly what it is. Or it sounds like in some aspects of this, Muschamp wants for the conference to do a better job of actually setting a standard for all this and what it means. Let's take one more question, Chris. Um, Actually, I think it's more of a comment, but we will comment on it. Just because Michael here took our advice and went from the Twitter side of things to the YouTube side of things, um, Go ahead and hit that subscribe button while you're here, Michael. But uh, basically, we'll turn it into a question. Does Cam and Shiloh, does that competition mean that the defense is going to be pretty strong and that there's going to be some pretty good depth? I would say, especially if we're talking about the secondary, you have to feel better about the depth at that spot, Chris. I mean, do we dare say since Muschamp has been here? I mean, I I think – 
I think you sit here and you feel I, – I mean, I think South Carolina has to feel very comfortable about that spot. I think they ultimately – they want more uh, more production from their backups on the defensive line. So, But ultimately, that's the spot that's going to have depth, we believe. Linebacker, yeah. maybe there's a little more uh, – you don't need to lose, guys. You certainly don't need to lose an Ernest Jones at linebacker. But I think secondary and defensive line, you do feel pretty good about the depth at those spots. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, you know, and I think even when healthy at linebacker, they they will feel pretty good about, you know, the two deep, but again, don't want to lose a guy. And you don't want to lose top guy anywhere. But just with some of the, you know, they've got, again, I said it earlier, more able sort of bodies. More, There's more quality depth there, I think. Does that mean it's one of the best secondaries or D-lines in the country? No, but there's not as much drop-off from group one to group two. You know, when you're looking at a second unit of, of Pickens who could certainly continue ascending and say Rick Sandage, and, you know, you've got Brad Johnson moving to Sam and really moving up, and then you've got some more, you know, you probably got two or three more guys at safety than you feel like you've had in the past. So there, there are certainly some moves, and, and staying healthy is going to be big too. But there's a lot more reason, and, and some people around the program have told us this, is that they feel better overall about the depth. And I think that's a good point, Wes, about safety. I mean, it's been a problem, um, and and maybe it still will be, but they've just got to be more consistent and stay injury-free. And if they are, I feel like they can be better there. Um, and if the defense can stay healthy, it's got a chance to still be a good unit, I think. No doubt, no doubt. All right, guys and gals, we appreciate it. All the comments, all the questions, the conversation has been great. The season is here, so you're going to see us doing more and more and more of these. Um, if you want to be a sponsor of the show, hit us up. Um, we'd love to throw you on here because I do think we got um, a lot of really – I'm seeing people on here that are – Chris, I would I'd say we're getting some loyalty from our watchers here, which I'm oh, yeah. excited about. I love seeing the same names. So if you run a business out there, hit us up. Um, you can email me, Wes, at Gamecock Central. Chris, I think it's Clark at GamecockCentral.com. Uh, so sure. hit us up. Otherwise, we'll see you on GamecockCentral.com, and we'll see you on here very, very soon. Thank you guys for joining us. If you're just joining in, go back, watch from the beginning. Hopefully we got some good stuff for you. We'll see you next time.